0: Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, yes, the weekly look at the world of motoring. I'm Ali Bally. And I'm Lorraine. On the podcast today, we'll be looking at speed limiter plan for all new EU cars. Is it a good idea? Also, the nasty germs hitching a ride with van drivers. But first of all, we'll have a look at the car that we've been road testing for you on this week's podcast. The test car is very similar to others we've had recently.
1: It is, Ali. The car-buying public seem to be moving more and more towards SUVs of all shapes and sizes, so it appears that the humble MPVs have been on the decline in recent years. But the Peugeot Rifter joins a Citroen Berlingo, the Vauxhall Combo Life, on our test schedule. Now,
0: whilst they may all share engines and looks to a certain degree... There are distinct differences between them, isn't there?
1: Yeah, for me, the Rifter wins hands down for its interior with its eye cockpit, which can be found in other Peugeots as well. I love the small, low set steering wheel, which is quite sporty making it easy to forget you're driving a van-like vehicle, if only on the inside.
0: Mm, It is very comfortable. The dashboard is rather big, it's chunky, but still attractive. And the high-mounted instruments are quite easy to read and use. And if it's space you need, and let's face it, this is the most redeeming feature and the reason why people buy people-carrier-type cars... Then there's lots of it.
1: Apart from the considerable boot space with or without dropping the seats, the head and leg room is exceptional and lots of nooks and crannies in the cabin too, such as a decent-sized box in the dashboard for keeping iPads or handbags in, large door bins and a drop locker in the ceiling that can be reached by the rear passengers.
0: Now, the GT line we were driving also had the full glass roof, creating an atmosphere of light And I suppose airiness, adding to the already superb visibility.
1: Yep, like its rivals, the Rifter also has rear sliding doors, which eases loading stuff, for example, when taking stuff to the skip. It also prevents dents and prangs in car parks when little people called grandchildren fling open the doors with not a care in the world about paintwork.
0: Now, our test car had a 101-horsepower, 1.5-litre diesel engine. It came with a five-speed manual gearbox, which will not win many races at Knock Hill, but it perfectly sufficient for trotting about town with the family inside cruising along the motorway or indeed taking a drive in the country. Acceleration and braking is smooth And cornering is really positive. The economy is pretty good too, depending on how heavy laden uh, you are with an expected return of between 46.1 and 51.6 miles per gallon.
1: Not bad. Every Rifter comes with a DAB radio, Bluetooth and Apple CarPlay. Other useful kits include cruise control, keyless entry, rear parking sensors, heated folding mirrors, lane departure warning, automatic emergency braking. So there's no lack of equipment really. But who will
0: buy the Peugeot Rifter? I think it'll be families needing the practicality and the space, who want the great safety equipment and infotainment system, or a workman who can use the vehicle's van-like qualities during the week without compromising on quality, doubling up as a family car at the weekend. You know what I mean, a self-employed businessman. I might need to get something, uh, but one that he could double up and use it, you know, as all the tools out on a Friday afternoon <laughs> and the family in on a Saturday morning. You can't fault its practicality, spaciousness or indeed safety equipment.
1: No, it's a sensible car. And let's face it, if you are going to have one like that, it would save you buying two cars. If you have a van and a car, you just have one of those, it'd be fine. It might be a bit more expensive than the Berlingo or the Combo, but I think this one is much better. Personally, I think it's worth it.
0: Okay, as I said, we were on a 1.5 litre engine, 102 Horsepower, top speed, 109 miles per hour. Really? really? <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a couple of horses on there then. Uh, three-year warranty, 60,000 miles, and it starts at just over £19,000. The model we were driving was a GT Line, £23,695.
1: It's a lot of money, though. It is, but it's practical.
0: It's a van. we are windy. OK. This is
1: Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels.
0: And from the test drive, here's a question for you. How would you like it if your car stopped you from speeding? Would you see it as something to help you keep your driving license clean? Or does it see as an, as far as you're concerned, as an, an attack on your freedom? Or well, the EU is planning to bring in new European car safety standards in 2022, which means every car. Every new car will have to come with automatic speed limiters as standard. And yes, it will apply in the UK even after Brexit if it's happened by 2022, that is. The technology is already fitted to many of the latest models and Matthew Avery from Thatcham Research can explain how it works. About
2: 75% of the cars we tested uh, in Euro NCAP last year had intelligent speed uh, assistance systems and it works by looking at GPS mapping. A lot of cars have got... Um, obviously sat navs on them and a a lot of cars have also got cameras on them now these cameras are often used for the automatic emergency braking systems uh, and pedestrian detection systems Now the camera can also read road signs. So it looks at the mapping and looks at the speed limit on the map. It looks at the road sign, compares those two, and then can actively control the vehicle speed. So it can tell you on the dashboard how fast the speed limit is, and it will restrict the vehicle to no more than that speed. But you can override it. You can turn the system off if, for instance, it might be inaccurate, Or if you momentarily have to accelerate to get past a a truck or something, then you can override it via the throttle. We are preventing more and more injuries on UK roads and the driver assistance systems are helping that. So the AEB systems, the automatic braking systems, are reducing front to rear crashes by something like 40%. So they are helpful, but there does come a point when drivers then begin to switch off. So, for instance, if your vehicle is only ever able to do the speed limit, you might decide that you'll just plant your your foot flat on the throttle because you don't think the car will ever speed, and that's obviously not the case. So there is an issue around this, and one of the things that we're looking at introducing into cars will be driver monitoring systems that are looking at driver behaviour making sure the driver is still alert. Because at the end of the day, you are still driving, you are still responsible.
0: Now, some people say it could be one of the biggest advances yet in road safety. But Steve Gooding from the RAC Foundation is worried drivers could become less alert as more tasks are done for them.
3: I think the first thing we all to say on the subject is that the speed limits that we have on our roads are there to make the roads safe for all of us. And it's interesting, I think, to ponder if we were talking about any other law, would we really be talking about giving people the discretion to break it whenever they feel like it? But on the specifics of the package that the European Parliament's been looking at, it does have intelligent speed assistance. It has many other aspects to it. And I think a couple of things concern me. One is, of course, that... Excessive speeding does play a part in many of the crashes that happen on our roads, but often that's excessive, but not exceeding the speed limit. If you think of the country lanes that we have that twist and turn across the countryside, the speed limit's often 50 or 60 miles an hour, but you'd have to be pretty crazy to drive that fast. Sadly some people do, and this won't help. Secondly, I do worry about the extent to which the technology in the vehicle takes the driving task away from the driver, and perhaps then we're not not as awake and alert as we really need to be.
0: Steve Gooding from the RAC Foundation. Now joining us on this week's podcast is Stuart Murray, a self-confessed petrol head, uh, sales manager for Bower Radio. So on the road a lot, what's, what's your daily commute um, uh, You know, from, from house to, to work? Uh,
4: 120 miles round trip, Ali.
0: Right, okay. So initial reactions to this then, what do you think?
4: It's ridiculous. It's the nanny state all over again. I'm so against it. I've got quite a nice car, quite a powerful car. It is a very fast car, but I don't drive fast. It's country roads all the way. I've got a clean licence. I've had three points in my licence in 25 years. So I have the car that they want to ban, Mm -hmm. but I drive safely. I don't have any points. What's the point in spending lots of money buying a nice car if you might as well just... Get a basic model.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're going to put the brakes on. Doesn't basic. make sense to. Doesn't me. make sense to me either. I, I, I'm with you on it. Uh, Lorraine, I, you know, knowing your style of driving, I would take it this would be uh, advantageous, particularly for your licence and your passengers' safety. Uh, I
1: have no points on my licence at present. and um, haven't had for some years. And don't look at me like that because it's true. I think there's a place for it perhaps for young drivers. Um, some young drivers have cheaper insurance if they don't go over a certain speed limit. So I think for them that's a really good idea. However, not an awful lot of new drivers, young drivers have brand new cars. So there's that to think about. Um, Stuart, are you somebody who uses cruise control at all? Because I know Ali does and I don't like it. I'm just wondering what you think about
4: I don't cruise use control. cruise control. I don't use adaptive cruise control. I don't like not being in control of the car. I'm a driver
1: and I like to drive. I'm, I completely agree with you, but Ali tends to drive when, when you're driving on motorways and longer distances. You like to take your foot off the pedal and just let the car do it, don't yeah, you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I went a fairly lengthy distance the other day and from out of the house within five minutes... The car was on to cruise control and it was for about an hour and a bit um, because there was it was early mornings, the road was clear and I was able to sit back and relax and enjoy it. I don't like um, the cruise control, the newer versions of cruise control where it comes to a stop or it slows down when you come up to another vehicle. Don't like that at all. I've come out before uh, going on to a roundabout and the car I've taken off just as a car is walking past me, and all of a sudden the car I'm driving, usually a test car, um, put the hammer, put the brakes on, mm. and it just—it wasn't a good feeling. But I—I I, I understand um, where the the safety thing comes for some of the drivers in this this particular instance. But to fit these to make it mandatory that you fit this speed limiter to every new car in the EU just seems. A bit, like Stuart says, too much of the nanny state. We're getting too much of
1: it. I think it's for drivers in perhaps Germany where there are no speed limits and they do drive at extreme speeds. I think perhaps in a country like that it might make more of a difference to them. But um, I know I'm guilty now and again of driving a wee bit over the limit, but we're not speaking about over 100 or anything like that. So, no, I'm I'm with Stuart on this, nanny state.
0: Nanny state. Stuart, you've got the the thumbs up here on on yours. But if you, you, in your next car that you, you have, um, you know, if they're saying this is going to be introduced in 2022, you can think that they're going to do it fairly soon. I mean, it's already uh, available in some cars. Um, is there any point in putting this in when they, on the other hand, are saying you could switch it off, you know, because you can switch this off if you don't want to use it.
4: But the technology is there to monitor and, and I just don't like that level of uh, control, I don't like the fact that they can keep an eye on what I'm doing. Mm. Uh, I don't want to have to switch it off. It just shouldn't be there in the first place.
1: Mm. It's a bit like Big Brother, isn't it? It is. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a no from me. <laughs> it's a no for you. It's a no for you. No for me.
0: And it's a, that's it. You've got three big no's. Um, but do the EU care what we say? Probably not. This is Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels. Lorraine, think of this. A survey that has just been carried out for Confuse.com has found that 14% of van drivers claim to never ever clean their vehicle. That
1: doesn't surprise me because if you park next to a van, sometimes you see all the rubbish that's been there for weeks, sometimes months. Crisp papers, cigarette packets, rubbish.
0: That's just what they're saying. A tradesperson's van often acts as their second home, with many drivers either spending much of their time on the road or taking breaks behind the wheel. However... While many people wouldn't dream of leaving their home uncleaned, a new investigation, as I say, has revealed just how dirty a tradesperson's van can actually get. <laughs> oh, dear. Confuse.com partnered with the School of Biological Sciences at the University of Essex to investigate the different types of germs living in six trade vans belonging to, sit up and pay attention <laughs> now, a builder, a carpenter, a dog groomer, an electrician, a bricklayer and a plumber. And the results showed that vans can harbour a wide variety of germs, some of which can be a serious threat to the health of the drivers in extreme cases. In particular, the van belonging to the bricklayer was found to contain the most pathogens uh, as a sort of Ticro- micro-organism... Organism, is that how you say it? Yeah, organism, yeah, yes. A Careful there. Do, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which may cause disease. Here, pathogen levels were more than double those usually found on toilet door handles. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. I've,
1: I've never hitched a, a lift in my life from anybody, but I don't think if I had to, I would ever, ever, ever take a lift from a bricklayer.
0: The most <laughs> prominent germs found in this van uh, knows to cause um, skin infections, acne with traces of bacteria relating to respiratory infections. And it just was, you know, again, um, in order of dirtiness, including the tested toilet door. Toilet door (laughs) was the least germs. At number six, it was the plumber. Then it was the carpenter. Then it was the dog groomer. And the top three vans or cars you shouldn't get into belonging to an electrician, a builder, or a bricklayer.
1: And apparently the handbrake is the filthiest part of the van. It's where all the germs congregate or whatever germs do. <laughs> They're all just sitting there waiting. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Then investigation, as you say, found that most touch points in all the vans tested were riddled with germs, absolutely riddled. Um, handbrake, something van drivers must use at least a couple of times in one journey, uh, puts them at risk of catching some infections or indeed illnesses. Yeah, clean your van man <laughs> might be a white van man but not inside um, also turning and looking at some of the other news uh, this week we've had the Auto Traders Awards new car of the year uh, went to the Peugeot 3008 SUV making it one of Peugeot's most successful models uh, so congratulations uh, to Peugeot on that one also an award went to Dacia in fact two awards went to Dacia they t- uh, scooped up two in the Auto Trader New Car Awards, the best value brand for the Dacia for the second uh, year in a row. And the Duster SUV awarded the best value new car. And there are more and more of them on the roads now.
1: Definitely, definitely. And the one that won the best uh, car for long journeys was the Volvo XC60. That was a car that we both liked very much as well. And staying with Auto Trader Awards, the car that won the best seven-seater was the... Kodiak, the Skoda Kodiak, which mm-hmm. was a really nice car as well. And Mazda were up there with the awards. They won the best car for dogs or dog owners. <laughs> that was the CX-5. I was going to the- say, how do you get a dog on an <laughs> MX-5? No, no <laughs> the MX-5 was the most loved car CX-5 was the best one for dogs.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs> we'll give them that then.
1: So well done to Mazda.
0: Indeed. And Jaguar has been named car brand with best features at the Auto Trader New Car Awards. So well done to them, Jaguar, being named and uh, getting a, a well-deserved award. They're in the news a lot at the moment, Jaguar. Yes. They uh, Land Rover are. Jaguar. Sometimes not for, not good for the reasons, best things, sometimes, no. but uh, it's good to see that they are getting some positive feedback about things as well Uh, That brings us to the end, we'll run out of time It is, yes,
1: I'm going away on holiday soon You are? Yes, I'm going to read a book and this book is called Invisible Women Invisible Women? Yes and I know you hope I'm invisible, but I'm not Anyway, there's one particular point in this, because the book isn't in general about how women are left out of statues and things like that but there is a part in it that is to do with motoring. Did you know that all crash test dummies are male? All
0: crash test dummies I are mean, is, is that a fact? Is it, it is a
1: fact, and I will bring you more details out on the next podcast. After,
0: if you read the book, yes. <laughs> Enjoy your book on the beach. Thank you.
4: Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels Podcast. Like, share, and subscribe.